HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on the Heritage Radio Network. I am the first show of the season, not just this is my first show, but it's the first Heritage Network show of the season, so I'm really excited about that. Oh, and I love a good engineer with some music. Thank you, David. Yes. And I am excited to begin this new season on my birthday. So (laughs) I didn't want to spend my birthday anywhere else, particularly because I have the most amazing guest who flew in from Dallas to be here with me because she says she doesn't really, you know, she likes to do interviews face to face. So... I'm interviewing Raina Duong, who goes by Ray. Yes. And the reason I fell in love with her was because she runs a, a walk-up window in Dallas and serves some of the best Vietnamese food I have ever had. The notion of you drive to a place that drops you off, then you walk to a window and order seemed a little counterintuitive. Uh, but that food pays off every second of that curiosity. So welcome, Raina. Thank you, and happy birthday. Thank you. Actually, so Raina stayed with me last night, and she had no idea it was my birthday, but she brought me 24 little cupcakes. And the other thing that you need to know, like why we're each other's spirit animals, she obviously intuited it was my birthday, but we both have red glasses that look exactly the same, and we're both wearing shoes that are really bright colors. (laughs) So, spirit animal is perfect. (laughs) Exactly. You make, as I said, the most extraordinary Vietnamese food with tremendous precision um, and complexity, whether it's a meatball or a banh mi or a spring roll. And I want you to take me back 
to Vietnam where you were born and describe your family and the, the setting that you grew up in. I was born in Vietnam, right, in 77. I almost forgot my birthday. Um, but we actually fled communism in 78. So the war ended in 75, and communism started to trickle down from the north uh, into the south. And uh, in the middle of the night, my father knocked on all the doors in the village and said, okay, let's go. So The entire village? The entire village of uh, Gat Ya, which is a small fishing village, almost, almost the southern tip of Vietnam. And now it's a huge tourist attraction for some of the best seafood in the, in the world. Um, but in the middle of the night, uh, there was a, probably about 100 people. So, you know, just uh, got on this fishing bowl, on bowl, fishing boat, and um, escaped to Malaysia. Now, your family was very large. Large, so. 12 kids. And at the time, I was the youngest, so I'm a number 11, and then I have a brother, Sang, he's number 12. He wasn't born yet, but my mom, um, um, you know, she had me and 10 other kids, you know, on this little boat. I think it's extraordinary your father didn't just think, let me get my family, because that's a lot of people to take care of right there. Right. But he really was thinking about the village. And I think about when uh, what you do in your work, you think about the village. You know, you're not really just thinking about yourself. But also the community. The, the right? community you're in. But you're, when you were on, on the boat, you were the, probably the youngest. I was the youngest. I was one. And my mom tell, uh, used to tell me this story. So it's in, in the middle of the night. And they had their version of the Coast Guard at the time. And it was literally two ships in the night passing. And as we got closer and closer to hearing distance, I wouldn't stop crying. And she would tell me that the other you know, folks on the, the boat looked at her and said, hey, you have you know, so many you know, for the betterment of everybody on this boat. Come on, let's do something about this. And she said that as soon as we got to uh, hearing distance with their ship, I stopped crying. That and is I a miracle because I'm sure your mother wouldn't have tossed you over, but I can imagine there was a lot of the pressure, pressure. The pressure. And, uh, and so I stopped crying and we were in Malaysia for a year and I learned how to walk on uh, the beaches of Malaysia. And there was this Buddhist monk in Long Beach, California, and amazing philanthropist. He actually sponsored our entire family. And that's another thing, too, because my father at the time had family in the States, said, why don't you just come to the States, just you? Leave the <gasps> wife and kids there and just make a new life for yourself. And he said, look, it, it's either we all go or we don't go. And, wow. uh, and so luckily for us, uh, we all went. And so we were in Long Beach, California with, at the temple, that's where I remember playing with other kids and then didn't recognize the, the scope of the Buddhist monk at the time and what he, you know, did for everyone. Um, but you, we stayed with him for, I believe, six months and then um, got some legs under us and then moved to Riverside, California. And, and your, your father sounds like a, a complex figure mm -hmm. in your life because that was selfless or centered but that wasn't necessarily always his M.O. No, it wasn't. You know, my dad loved me so much and spoiled me to no end. Um, but, you know, he was also, he had his vices, you know, and he had, um, it wasn't long after we were in the States that, you know, my mom had sang, my brother, and he has Down syndrome. Um, and I believe that both my parents did the best they could, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it was just their best wasn't good for saying, mm -hmm. if you will. And so 
um, it was tough growing up, you know, because he was also a womanizer, you know, I'm very upfront. So he was also a womanizer, but my mom was very traditional in the sense at the time where uh, she felt that that was her fate, hmm. you know. So it wasn't for her to question right. or to toss him out or, right. of course, where would that leave her right. with 12 kids? Yeah, and uh, it was it's so funny, too, because I remember so vividly that I was five and I remember her crying in the garage. Um, there was a, a makeshift garage at the time where there was a bed in there in a little room, and I remember her crying. And I walked in and I said, Mom, you know, we can leave Dad right now. Hmm. Me and you, wow. we can go. And she said, well, what are we going to do for money? And I responded, I said, I'll get a job. Oh, my God. And we can, we can make this happen, you know. Wow. And and I honestly don't know where it came from. But when I look back, I think it was such um, a powerful moment because it was always in me to, um, to think about community, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't have to, I think being an advocate is so strong and powerful because when it doesn't impact you directly, it's even more important that you stand up for someone. Um, but yeah, it was, it was tough, you know, growing up in that sense, but. And it sounds like you, you were aware, your mother was aware. I mean, this was not something your father worked hard to hide. No. Do you feel like that had an impact on what you chose to do or, uh, you I mean, know, having that knowledge from five. Yeah. You know, I, at the time, no. Right. Yeah. I mean, not um, five, but, right. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it definitely stems from that. Um, I knew that. I would be the one to take care of Sang, my brother, um, for the rest of his life. And I knew that at a very early age. So when I finally left the, the house and moved out of California when I was 22, the objective was to eventually come back, you know, um, and, you know, have a life for myself, be successful, whatever that may be, right? But financially stable and then come back and care for him and take him off, you know, the hands of my parents, which I knew, you know, as you get older, you know, in Vietnamese culture, you know, there's not too much estate planning. Yeah. You know, it's it's considered a bad omen. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, so there's no funeral planning, estate planning, future, you know, living will, anything like that. And so it was foreign when I wanted to have that conversation. You that know? must have scared them and also made them think you're a little evil. Yeah. <laughs> like, Definitely. Do you my... want us to die? Right. Are you talking about this to, you yeah, know? Yeah, it was a lot of, of that. I actually, when I, I was in Dallas at the time and I flew back to California and it was a three-day process. And I remember on my third morning, my mom and everybody in the family always knew that uh, it was a natural progression for Sang to come live with me and for me to care for Sang. But what about the other literally 10 children? You know, they had families of their own. Uh-huh. Um, they weren't too far away, but, um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's hard to care for someone with Down syndrome or any different, you know, we all have different abilities and all abilities, right? So um, it's, it's a lot of work, you know. I wasn't bored, trust me. <laughs> um, it was just the right thing to do. And so I think every one of my siblings had their reasons why they didn't want to. Um, and at that time, as disappointing as it was, um, I had to not make it about me. So I always had to focus and say, okay, it's about saying, and what do, I, what do I need to do to make sure that I can take care of him in the way that he needs to be taken care of so that he could, you know, maximize his potential. You know, he's, he speaks two languages, actually three with sign language, you know, so. He's exceptional. When we talk more about the, the restaurant, um, 
we'll talk about him. But your mother had to feed all those people, and yes. I and I wonder whether that is the beginning of your you know, passion for cooking. Yes, I hands down, absolutely. And you know, I hated being in the kitchen with her, Dana. Like as a kid, I wanted to be outside and climb trees and eat dirt. You know what I mean? So <laughs> like that seems nutritious. There's worms. There's roaches. Right. Protein. And I was I was filthy all the time because I was climbing trees and not the park and digging and you know I I wanted to be that kid. But but my mom, she said, okay, well, you you speak too loudly for a lady. Uh huh. Um, your hair's always messy. Um, so I need you in the kitchen. You're going to learn how to cook. And this is the best way to get a husband when you get older. Oh, my goodness. And, <laughs> and I rebelled against it so much, you know, and not because I didn't love food, right? It was such a big culture to, to feed and to nurture, you know, for Vietnamese folks, especially for my mom. But the objective that she had for me to do that, I rebelled against it so much. And the rebellion took the... Um it ended up with being in the trees and yeah. and other things as well. Yeah, literally. I was always, if there was a tree, like even <laughs> as an adult, I'll see a tree with a really nice branch. I'm like, wow, that's a good climb right there. <laughs> you know, my, my son who just went off to boarding school is exactly the same way. He judges landscape by climbability of trees. Yes. That's a good one because look how low that is. And there's a knob there. And Oh, my gosh. It's an, yeah. escape, it's an escape route for many. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I, and But you did end up in the kitchen with I her. I did. And unbeknownst to her, I paid attention to everything that she did. Mm-hmm. You know, complaining the whole way um, and trying to, you know, you know, fight through it all. But I paid attention to the intricacies and how meticulous she was. Um, she, I, I always share the story. She would roast her own peanuts. Mm-hmm. And so she would buy them with the, the raw peel on it, and then she would roast it. And then once it was finished roasting, she would have me, um, you know, literally take peel. the skins off. And it was hot. And it had to be hot in order for it to be, you know, uh, to come off easily. And I remember saying to her, Mom, oh, my gosh, they sell them roasted at the store. <laughs> right, come on, get with it. Yeah. We're in America now. <laughs> right, and she would literally just hit me over the head, and she's like, you know what, I don't need any of this right now. Just just finish peeling the peanuts. And the outcome of that, Dana, if you've ever had like a freshly roasted peanut with uh, on a bed of papaya salad, mm-hmm. it's just the best contrast, and you can taste the smoke. Mm. And then, you know, the, I believe in energy. So the energy and probably not mine because I hated it at the time, (laughs) but the energy that my mom put into it at the time, uh, was you, you felt it with every bite. You know, they say you can taste the love. And so it seems like it would have taken a long time to painstakingly, you know, do that to the peanuts. And Mm -hmm. then I know you have a thing about cilantro, Mm -hmm. you know, like it should be properly picked. Like what other elements of the meal did she obsess over that then you have taken on yourself? Uh, Making everything from scratch, whether it was fish cake Uh or, you know, pork sausage cake. So she made the pork sausage. She, um, so the, the version of it, but she used a lot of pork as well as, um, fish. Uh She didn't cook a whole lot with beef. Um, so there was chicken and, you know, pork and, and lots of fish, but I would watch her fillet the fish and then, you know, debone it and then scrape the meat of the fish and then process it and then season it and then and then take two spoons and scoop out the size and the, you know, 
the shape that she wanted and then just slowly drizzle it down into the oil of the wok. Wow. You know, and I watched her do it. And um, I also watched her save all these oils. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why? <laughs> and then as an adult, I'm like, this, it happened. It happened today. I saved oil. You know, to repurpose it. And it made complete sense because the the flavor that is infused in it, you know, you you can't buy that. Um, So it it was just the... And there wasn't anything she didn't know how to make. And was that because back in the village, her mother would have taught her? Yes. And everyone had these skills? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it was expected, right, as a, as a woman, as a young girl. Uh, and, you know, she told me that my grandmother um, used to say, well, you know, you're 23, 24, you're getting up there, you need to marry. You know, so at the time, you know, she used to tell me in her 20s, she was considered, you know, too old. Right. Which is insane to me. That is know? crazy to consider. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds like your siblings actually got um, married pretty young. If, although, who knows? There's such a long. It's, there's quite a, a spread of them. Yeah. So, um, and did you all gather around the table together? I mean, do you have a, a culture of sitting, talking? Yes. There's so there's too many of us, so we can't really fit mm-hmm. in the kitchen dining table. So what my dad did was he built a sunroom in our backyard, and then he. Um, just basically lined up six foot tables, you know, so it was uh, almost every weekend where we would have a family gathering. And um, I remember sitting or, uh, you know, we have these little um, squat stools, I would say, but they're plastic and they're maybe, you know, one foot tall, but you sit on them and then there's huge stainless steel bowls and colanders of um, herbs that you wash and you prep, you know, and that's where, you know, my obsession with cilantro or how we wash bean sprouts and, you know, every little thing is important because it's the energy and the, the respect that you give it. And some may say, oh, it's just a garnish. But to me, you know, well, you can actually eat this. It's edible, you know, and if you're going to put it into your system, then it has to be dealt with with love and respect. You know, so before you decided to become a chef, uh, you had a completely different path. I did. So you were in fashion, retail, you were a buyer, you were a financial planner. Mm -hmm. Was that, uh, why did you make that choice and what did you learn doing that? Um, Nordstrom, so I was at Nordstrom for 10 years and uh, my last position was a Manchu buyer. Um, so growing up in California, Nordstrom was, you know, um, everywhere. And that's how I knew of Nordstrom. So when I moved to Dallas, I actually started at a brokerage firm for a year. Um, and then I quickly got bored of that. And my rule is that if I wake up and I'm no longer passionate about it anymore, then it's time to go. And so... How do you live that? Like, does that happen more than once? Like, <laughs> it that, does. Really? It does. And uh, to a fault, maybe, because... I learned from this, though. I, I, I quit my job before I had another job. And I don't advise it at all because <laughs> it was, oh, Dana, for I think a month or two into it, I'm thinking, okay, you know, and maybe the first week was great. You know, I didn't have to worry about, you know, being hungover at work because I didn't have to go to work. Uh, but then a month or two into it, I remember being in my apartment and feeling like such a loser, you know, like, oh my gosh, you know, what am I doing? 
And my friend at the time, Richie, he called me, we're still friends. And uh, he said, I need you to get up. <laughs> Everyone I, needs one of those. Yeah, yeah, he said, get up, take a shower. I'm picking you up. Uh, and I still remember that because I'm like, no, I'm such a loser. Nobody wants to hire me. And I was 22 oh at the time. And I said, I don't know why I quit. But um, then, you know, I, I did. He, he, I needed that moment. Right. And so I took a shower and uh, I, you know, went to lunch and then got some, you know, vitamin D, some sunlight. And uh, I, I kind of just said, OK, you know what? Get it together. You know, you come from a huge family. You had to fight your, for your food every day, right, just to even eat. Um, get it together. And so that's when I applied to Nordstrom. And then from there, it just grew. Do you find that that talking to yourself is very effective? Yes. I do it all the time out loud sometimes. You do. Mm-hmm. I, I think about that because it's so easy to override that voice, the one that's rational and says, mm-hmm. it's going to be fine. Yeah. And then there's the other voice that's like, no, it's not. You know, <laughs> just like shut down the annoying little boy, the mm-hmm. squeaky voice, and take the high road. Mm-hmm. But do you think that's a, just a, a character trait? It could be. I mean, but I, I think just like a, a therapy session, right? We could all benefit from talking to ourselves. Because here's the thing. If you're not going to be your own best friend and biggest fan, who is, right? And I believe in, you know, you, you're the company you keep. So then once you put that energy out there, but it starts within. Right. Um, so I think talking to yourself is really important. Like, get it together. Right. You know? And listen to me take a shower, you know? <laughs> it's a good place to start. Yeah. And so then you got the job at, at Nordstrom's. I did, I did. And Were you interested in fashion? Always. Always. Yeah, always. Um, and so I thought it was, you know, a, a perfect fit. However, I applied for a sales position, and then the, at the time, Nordstrom had a I think the interview was three hours long, and they had this book. I honestly forgot the name of it, but literally question, answer, question, and, and it was a huge binder. Oh, my goodness. Um, which I, I totally see why they did it at now, but I was thinking, wow. But then she, you know, after I was interviewed, she said, actually, I have something else for you. Um, we're going to have you in the buying office if you want it. And so that's when I started in the buying office as an assistant. Uh-huh. And then I got bored of that position after a year. And I went to my manager and said, I need more. Give me more. And so kind of, you know, grew my career in that way. And then the big one was when I was a divisional merchandiser, They, mm-hmm. have, you know, where they oversee all the buyers. Okay. I was his um, office manager and assistant. So he said, hey, do you ever want to buy? And I'm thinking, yeah, because I kept going to him. I said, hey, um, you have to give me more. I'm bored. Uh-huh. You know. So then he did something that was uh, unusual. He sent me to all the store openings. You know. Um, and why did he do that? He, I guess he saw something in me. You know, um, and I give him credit for that because he every every Monday, I would say, you got to give me a big project. You know, everything you told me it's done. And then every Friday, I said, okay, when you go home this weekend. I want you to think about what my next big project oh is going to be. And I kid you not, he thought I was, he, he loved it, but thought I was insane at the same time. Like, right. what? That's, uh, that's pretty aggressive. Did you ever worry about, like, being too aggressive? Um, that inner voice tells me, yeah. slow your roll, Ray. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but at the same time, um, I, I think as I got older 
um, and became a little bit more worldly and meeting more people, I realized that, you know, just from back home, if I don't speak up, I'm not going to get it. Certainly having a bunch of siblings where you have to have your voice heard, it'd be so easy to just like be tossed off that boat without, if you don't speak. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from there, you know, I, in, at Nordstrom at the time, in order to become a buyer, Mm -hmm. you have to have sales experience. That's how you get to know the customers and, you know, it's advanced hospitality training. Um, and so I said, okay, I'll switch over to sales, um, with the risk of never coming back. Right. Um, because what if I just suck? Right. (laughs) And so, um, I said, okay, but then I always knew that regardless of what I did, whether it was, you know, flipping burgers or, um, whatever it may be, right? Um, I knew that I wouldn't allow myself to fail because I was going to be really, really good at it, whatever it was. Well, how did you know that? Um, I don't know. How do you cultivate fearlessness? You embrace it. What's the scariest thing that you did where you're inside of it and you're like, right now I am terrified. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to get to the other side, but what was that time? That was the restaurant. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a pause right there. Um, We're going to have a quick commercial break. Then we're going to be back with Reina Tuong from Sandwich Hag in Dallas, Texas. Stay with us. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of the Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach cave-aged cheeses, Der Scharfe Max, Appenzeller, Tete de Moin, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Welcome back to Speaking Broadly. This is your host, Dana Cowan, and... There was a cliffhanger before the Emmy commercial. I'm so excited. Um, I'm excited about cheese, but I'm also excited to hear about the big leap into the unknown that my guest today, Reina Duong, took when she opened her walk-up Vietnamese window called Sandwich Hag. So you're just going to say that facing your fear down hard, that was where it happened. Tell me. It it was the, the do or die moment, you know, and uh, I remember it was in September of 2015, 
and my mom had recently passed from ovarian cancer and I believe in energy. So I sat there on the sofa with Arch, my, my partner, and I said, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do this. You know, and he's like, do what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. He's like, get brunch? What? Uh, I said, no, I, I've been talking about the restaurant for so many years and texting group messages and friends of, you know, hey, if, what do you think of this name? And hey, what would you want in a restaurant or whatever it may be? And getting like a, a like a, you know, a, a group, you know, hey, feedback, right? Right. And so... I wanted to re- redirect that energy of that sadness, you know, of a uh, void um, to opening a restaurant. So then I immediately messaged online Instagram, a, a graphic designer that I was in touch with at the time. Just on, I just said, hey, um, looks like you do logos. Oh my gosh. This is <laughs> like, it's me- amazing. Yeah. Cold calling. Yeah. An illustrator, but yeah. Insta. Yeah. Right. And, um, and she responded and uh, long story short, and I'm very specific, you know, and I, I, I get it. I get that artists or anyone that works with me rolls their eyes probably a thousand times a day because I'm very specific, but trying to be respectful of their craft at the same time. But I, you know, so there was a lot of back and forth. And a week later, um, we got the logo. And at the time, it's actually my LLC. It's called Radish. Oh, yeah. Didn't know. So that's the primary. Um, and then Sandwich Hag is the DBA doing business as. And um, and I remember, I believe it was Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Arch and I were at our bar, just sat down. We, we were traveling a lot for, for work. And I got the email and I got the logo. And I said, perfect, this is the one. And I remember toasting to it. And, uh, and that was the start of it. So I was still working, though. And I said, okay, how am I going to make this work? Okay, well, I'm going to gather my recipes. I'm going to start testing it. Uh, and the, the many, 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 many years of drinking and eating has, um, paid me back in a way where I have really great friends in the industry. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) And, um, you know, valet folks, you know, uh, bartenders, restaurant owners, GMs. And so then I said, Hey, uh, I'm working on tasting. Would love for you to come over. So I had private tastings, um, through the, the menu testing. And then from there, you know, once we got it right, it was right. And uh, then, um, so that went on for probably six to eight months. But, but it's interesting, it's, a, it's the same thing where you just, you're decisive. Mm-hmm. And one day that's, you know, you, it's not really almost like you overcame the fear because you just knew you were going to do it. Yeah. And, oh, don't get me wrong. There were moments where I stayed up and I couldn't sleep and I said, what am I doing? How is this going to work? You know, because there were, you know, um, some folks that said, you know, this is really hard. You're, you're, you want to specialize in bon mi sandwiches uh, the way that you want to make it. Meaning there I had. So there were two obstacles, right, was um, pricing because the the, you know, the idea that a bon mi sandwich costs more than five dollars or a taco that's more than two dollars and most folks minds are like how is that possible but how I see it is this you want depth and flavor you want house made you want precision and ingredients or you want right I want (laughs) yes I want right but you don't want to pay for all the quality ingredients that 
you know, yes, and you're right, I want. So I made it the way I wanted it to make it. I wanted to eat it. Uh, and then the fear was, okay, how is Dallas going to accept this, right? right? And it was just pushing through it. And then I said, okay, well, let's start small. How about we we have tastings? And then um, a passion of mine is community. So then I started looking up other businesses that was not just selling, you know, beautiful chocolate, like, you know, Coco Andre and Oak Cliff, um, you know, but I, I said, how are they also giving back to the community? So we did surprise drop-offs. We would make the, the bonmis and um, surprise them and then also co- made that connection at the so same time. So you surprised time. the the food community or people who are doing things that benefited the community mm-hmm. that you yeah. felt good about and felt a connection to. Yeah. And, and even outside of food. Yeah. You know, like well, I know you're passionate about music and art. Yeah. And local hub is a, is a bicycle shop in deep Ellum that I love. And, um, Chrissy is amazing. She's one of the owners. I think she's the only only right now, but, um, we dropped off to her too, because, you know, she has been such a strong force in, you know, bicycling and promoting, you know, eco-friendly transportation and things like that. So, uh, and we're we're fr- we're still friends till this day, you know. So it, that was really big for me. Did you choose that because you know about marketing from your Nordstrom time? Yes. So it's a benefit to know something about marketing. Yeah, very. Um, I think with with any business, but especially in food, you know, it's it's almost like uh, 60, 40. 40 percent of it is, is your product. Maybe even thirty percent. I'm not gonna lie, but that thirty percent better be really good, mm-hmm. right? But the 70% is, gosh, payroll, admin, marketing, um, you know, just uh, everything. It's a very important percentage to call out because people think it's the reverse. Right. And they go into it because I just, I really want to make um, ice cream. Yes. Or I really want to, you know, make this thing that's my passion. But to make the business flourish, you really need all those other yeah, and skills. It's, and it can be 24-7. It still is for me. You know, I'm lucky to, to get in more than you know, five hours of sleep at night because, you know, we, <laughs> I, when I get home, so we have a uh, dinner after we close the shop. I say we, because it's me and, you know, Archie and then saying, um, and that's another thing I love to promote. So wherever I'm going, I post about it. So that way I'm promoting their business. Right. And it's all on my, my sandwich hag Instagram. And most people, uh, are thinking, okay, well, you're promoting more businesses than your own sometimes, but I'm okay with that, you know, because I it's, think it's a great thing. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and, and so it's, it's a lot of that community aspect. Um, but back to your point of the, the 70% of it being not just about food, but the, if something breaks, you have to fix it. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's nobody else. There's nobody else. Yeah, there's and not the super or the doorman or whatever. Right? Yeah. And uh, if there's, you know, debris on your patio, you have to sweep it. Yeah. Um, accounting, payroll, all of that, contractors to deal with. It's a lot of competencies for one person to have, I think. Yeah. Um, but let's let's talk about Sang a little bit. Because uh, when I was at Sandwich Hag on a, you know, beautiful hot <laughs> summer day, uh I was there for Neiman Marcus, which is so funny because you did a, a, a short turn at, at Neiman Marcus and I you know, snuck away from the convivium event to uh, try your food. So 
I, you know, popped in, ordered, sat at a table, and there was a bus that looked like a city bus mm-hmm. that was dropping off one person, a young man, who then, you know, walked in the kitchen. And, of course, I'm like, so that city bus, could I have taken that city bus? Can I take that city bus? You know, like, what's that about? That one person, who's he? But it turns out that it's um, your brother Sang, and you're a tremendous advocate for all abilities, which I think is the best way to describe including people who have abilities that are not like your own. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear about Sang and, and what it's like working with your brother and um, and his abilities. Yeah. Well, you know, he would kill me if I didn't mention this. He goes by Sugar Sang. Okay. Okay, right? Follow him on Instagram. <laughs> the guy, he loves taking selfies, he right? He does. He does. Um, loves. Loves selfies. Um, but he's, you know, he's great. And, you know, I forget sometimes because I'm his guardian, right? Which is basically caretaker parent. But I'm also his sister. So there's that sibling factor too, right? Where we poke at each other and, you know, he knows all the right buttons to push with me, you know? So um, when he's not in his day program, which is my possibility, is amazing. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, he's with me at the restaurant. And I say this um, all the time, and the crew loves him, but he's, he's one of the most dedicated, passionate um, workers there is out there, you know? And he's so intuitive, Dana. He'll, he'll watch me do something, you know, whether it's a new process or, you know, something that's a staple, and he'll apply it. And then he'll also remind sometimes, you know, me even, you know, like he'll be at the expedite table and I'll forget one ingredient. He's like, oh, you forgot the pickles, you know, and I look down. I'm like, you're right. You're right. He's like, employee of the month today. (laughs) (laughs) Just good sense of humor. Very good sense of humor um, and sassy. Um, But he's a 38 year old man with Down syndrome. Um, Like I said, you know, when anyone asks me, like, what are, what is some, what is one thing? that you want people to know of uh, someone with Down syndrome. And I, I just give them an example. I said, well, Sang knows sign language. He knows English. He knows Vietnamese. And then he knows some bad words in Spanish, you know? <laughs> so uh, that's more than the average, you know, American person as far as language is concerned. So do you feel uh, that other restaurants and other businesses are short-sighted to not um, make use of the abilities of people with Downs, or um, is it your relationship with him is very special, so you have the, the patience to bring out his best? You know, that's a good question. I think it's a combination, right? I think it's the, you know, when you love someone, you're afraid um, to put them in a position where they may fail, mm-hmm. um, so you're very protective. And so... I'm guilty of this, you know what I mean? And and I find that there are days where I don't give saying enough credit, hmm. you know, which is how he's so observant and how he's meticulous in, in the way that he does things and he's very routine. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I fail at giving him even more credit than he deserves because I want to protect him. Mm-hmm. So I think as a society, we're you know, one, we're afraid of what we're not familiar with. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that, you know, businesses don't want to hire someone with, you know, um, an ability like saying, I think it's the fear of not knowing how to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's where I I like to talk about my my possibilities a lot, his day program, because they recently um, partnered with LaunchAbility, where they... um, 
coach and train folks, you know, to get jobs and it's an easy transition. They work with major corporations as well in Dallas. Um, so I, I think there is a fear of not knowing. And I do have, you know, that advantage of knowing him so well. Absolutely, right. Which means I'm comfortable with checking him, mm-hmm. you know, because there's there's moments where he's very emotional, which mm-hmm. like we all are, you know, he wears his, his feelings um, right in front of, on his sleeve. Um, so I'm able to say, no, you're not going to behave like that. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest thing. Um, if you are upfront and you treat them just like you would anyone else, Mm -hmm. um, look at, if somebody doesn't come into work, right, regardless of what ability they have, you're going to have a conversation with them, right? Saying's no different, you know? So if saying says something that, you know, a little sassy, Mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, a fellow coworker, then guess what? You're going to coach that. So it's no different in that aspect. You just have to be flexible and patient, even more patient. And I think it's worth it because um, someone with with the ability of saying and saying's population, um, they will be your most dedicated employee, mm-hmm. most dedicated. Like he won't leave until we say, okay, let's go, you know? I love the example of you, you went off and you were doing something else and you came back in the kitchen yeah. He had just taken care of it. He'd like, he closed cleaned, it down. He closed, which is a lot of initiative. Yes, a lot of work, a lot of forethought. There's a lot that goes into it. You can't skip a step. Mm-hmm. And um, I can only imagine your your pride in seeing that. You're really talking about communication and the importance of communication. I actually think that one of the great um, challenges in a workplace is communication. And I think most workplaces have terrible communication. So to the need to have extra communication, um, you know, can be a challenge for people, but I'm also interested in not just your no assholes policy, which <laughs> I totally sign up for. I, I live my life by the no assholes rule. I just like, there isn't enough time in my life for that. Yeah. Um, or I just don't want there to be, but, um, but also like your zero tolerance and like what that grew out of and how clear you are in your communication. Can you just, Tell me, where, where does that clarity for you come from? Yeah, um, I know there, the big movement of Me Too, uh, which blew up last uh, October. and But even before then, um, zero tolerance of any type of harassment at work was always um, a priority for me. So when I have my interviews, I have a whole conversation about that. Uh, on uh, a new hire's first day, there's a whole conversation about that. Um, and we have uh, meetings with the team when, you know, a current event happens and we address it and I want it to be a safe space. And so, you know, with that, I've always been a strong advocate, you know, and, and very open. Uh, and I'll be honest, you know, the openness of what happened to me in my childhood was really hard. And maybe about two, two and a half years ago, that's when the self-talking mm-hmm. had to happen. Where, um, So uh, for those that don't know, I was sexually abused by three different um, men in, in my life. And they were all close. One was you know, a Buddhist monk, one, and, and one was my brother. The other was a family friend. And I was young. I was probably four or five when it started, maybe. I don't remember when it ended, I'll be honest with you. But it was probably two, two and a half years ago. That's when the self-talking kicked in and said, you know what? There's no shame. Mm -hmm. It wasn't your fault. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to do that in order to believe it. 
right. because the shame that that stayed with me, and I'm 41, so imagine a 39-year-old woman, you know, be, seemingly as confident as I am, had these these really sad, you know, um, memories, right? Uh, and I try to block much of it out, but um, it's it's just been very recent where I said, okay, food is what I do for a living, but um, community and um, a safe space, inclusion, regardless of who you are, what you look like, the color of your skin, that was what my passion was. And this allows me a platform to subtly and sometimes not so subtle, um, you know, insert that, you know, so um, speaking how did you, up, I just, I, in hearing how close those men were to you, yeah. did you tell anyone at the time? When I was young, no. Yeah. It was so scary. Yeah. Because they were so trusted. You know, and um, that's the story, right? How do men who are so trusted get away with something? And did they, t you know, I mean, also once it happens more than once, you're like, why am I like, why am I targeted? What is it about me that right. makes them think that this is okay? Right. And then there's the, the shame that starts to build from it, right? And you don't recognize when you're four or five that you're four or five. Yeah, sure. You feel right. very old. You yeah. were ready to run away with your mother right. and save the family. Yeah, right. And so, um, so at the time, it was just scary. The no one's going to believe me because mm -hmm. oh my gosh, this this Buddhist monk, everybody is just loving him, you know. And that must make it very hard for you to go back to Buddhism. Yes. Yes. And Sang is a, is, a, is a strong Buddhist. And I say that because I take him to the temple, you know, as much as possible because he, he has such strong beliefs in that. And because I respect what everyone's beliefs are, you know, I take him. But it, it brings up a lot, you know, but... That's hard to imagine, really, because you're entrusting your brother, who you're very yes. protective of, yes. to a system an individual within a system mm -hmm. who has um, abused you. Right. What is that like? It's hard. So I... Or how I, do you cope, I guess, is the better yeah, question. Yeah, I, uh, I originally started by going with him inside and mm -hmm. sitting next to him for an hour or so and going through the chanting and the spirituality. Um, and then gradually, okay, waited outside, mm -hmm. you know, but not going far. You know, and he has a phone. So as soon as he's done, mm -hmm. and I time it, so I know when it starts, when it ends, and then when it's close to ending, I'm standing there, glass door, just watching. Mm -hmm. So it's it's that fear, you know, and also, you know, and I think we talked about this last night or this morning about kids. You know, I, I've I always knew that I was going to take care of saying, so my energy was there. But part of me not ever wanting to have kids was that fear of society. Right, of course, yeah. because you couldn't protect yourself. Right, no one was protecting you. Right, right. But do you have um, do you have religious beliefs yourself at this point? I don't. I um, I my religion is people. If that makes sense, I believe in humanity. You know, I um, as flawed as we are, as flawed as we are, and um, what gives you that faith? Ooh, good question. Um, I believe that. As much bad that there can be, you know, whether it's within your four walls of your home or your neighborhood or your city, state, you know, country, um, when you need or are in need mm -hmm. of a helping hand, mm -hmm. the number of people mm -hmm. are in droves. Mm -hmm. 
Who you can know? help you. Who can help you. And um, for every bad, there's 10 times the good. Mm-hmm. You know, and I believe in that. And I have to believe in it. Otherwise, you know, I, I'll just sit down and crawl in the corner, you know? Or you're going to need someone to call you and go, <laughs> go take a shower. Go take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> the sun is out. It takes a lot of inner resilience, though, I, I think, to both unearth all of the bad things, mm-hmm. break them apart, and get rid of them right. in order to move forward. forward. It's very hard to move forward without that. Was there anything, because I'm just thinking about the timing of that voice that said, like, I'm done with the shame mm-hmm. and the opening of the restaurant. Are they concurrent? The opening of the restaurant... Um, of course, it's really timed to your mother's yeah, passing. Yeah, yeah, it was, was timing with my mom's passing. But, you know, um, something I don't share too often is I remember when I gained the courage to tell my mom about what happened to me with my brother. Um, I was an adult. I was at Nordstrom. I was in Houston at the time. And I remember flying back and... Gaining that courage was so... You know when you open your mouth and the words just don't form? Yes. Do you know that feeling? I, yes. Yeah, and so... Th- like, maybe I'll do that later. Yes, you know, and so I, I opened, the mouth opened, and then I leaned in, and then I just told her. And her response broke my heart, you know? What was her response? It was, well, I knew it had happened <gasps> to another sister, but I didn't know it was towards you as well and so but what I learned from that was this Sodana we are so women especially and young girls we're conditioned to always be polite Mm -hmm. to make sure that the other person in the room is okay Mm -hmm. Um, that was a moment where it was eye-opening when I look back because I got up I remember crying I said some things I remember just tears I went into the room got myself together you know uh, caught an earlier flight, mm-hmm. right? Made the phone call. And then, you know, just stood up straighter so that my mom wouldn't feel bad for making me feel bad. But that is the conditioning of, of womanhood, right? Don't talk too loudly. Be polite. Always say sorry, even if you didn't do anything wrong, right? So, so I look back to that and the, um, the inspiration I get from that heartbreaking moment uh, that I took away from that is no more. Yeah. What could your mother have said that would have felt right to you? Like, what was your best hope for that conversation? Um, are you okay? Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, are you okay? Or, and I'd, I would be a hypocrite if I wanted her to apologize. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, um, of course, right. It, it, she didn't do it. Why is she apologizing, right? Why would she, yeah. But I think in that moment... Um, because you're hurt and you're angry. I'm hurt and I'm angry, right? So I just wanted her to, like, just ask me, are you okay? Yeah. Um, and it didn't happen. But I look back and I'm not mad at her for mm-hmm. it. You know, because it made me think, okay, well, what happened to my mom in Vietnam? Also, what happened to, to your mother dealing with your father? Right. His infidelity, his, you know, just all having that. that in her face all the time. Yeah. So there's something, her sense of fate yeah. um, in every sense formed her, but it doesn't have to form you. Right. And it didn't. Yeah. And I'm grateful for it. And I always, you know, I, I, I opened the restaurant in honor of my mom. 
Uh, and to, to some people, they're like, why? You know, but I, I see this, you know, my mom did the best she could as she knew how. Mm-hmm. So if I sat here and said, well, okay, she should have done this, that, and the other, well, how easy to say that, right? How easy to blame. Um, so for me, I could take all those experiences, good and bad, and mold myself to the person I want to be. And I believe this. I, the inspiration with my mom is I became the person she wished she could be. And that's what keeps me going for her. Okay, with that, that is actually the, um, the final note of this amazing interview. Uh, I do have one last thing, which is I always like to pay it forward. And I feel like Dallas is underrepresented in the food map. Um, and it's a conversation that I had a lot when I was in Dallas. Like, why is that? You know, why is it that it's not a stop on the national critics tour really mm-hmm. um at this moment though it has certainly been in the past is there someone in dallas you'd like to pay it for it everybody should go check out this person's you know restaurant so or i get food. one I get you can one. you can do as many as you want <laughs> as quickly as you can okay <laughs> okay so my my first one she doesn't have a restaurant but she is a food photographer and her name is joy zhang which is with joy zhang photography she's amazing uh Big shout out to, to Joy. Joy, there's good things coming for you. <laughs> and she's a brilliant artist. Um, so humble. Probably the most humble person I know. Um, and we try to meet once a week for lunch and just to catch up. But Joy is amazing and huge fan of yours as well. Um, and then the other is actually right in my neighborhood, the Cedars, where the restaurant is, just down the street from where you were, um, at the Cedars Social um, AQ, Chef AQ, uh, Anastasia Quinones. Um, she's brilliant, modern Mexican. Um, she, along with two other women, Leanne and um, Monica, um, took over the Cedar Social. It used to be the Cedar Social. They took I over. Love that. Yeah. And, and they made it Mexican. Yeah, and brilliant Mexican, you know, and so humbling and powerful and uh, just a strong group of women that uh, I like to look up to and uh, can now call my friends, you know, and we support each other. So they have tacos during uh the weekday you know in their backyard and so i ride the scooter over there when i can and then you know we you know they come to the window a lot too at sandwich hack so i think it's about community right so let's support each other it's awesome yeah. with that thank you all for listening uh thank you for joining us to be on the very first show of the very um of this fall season here at heritage and enjoy your week and i will be back next week and if you want to find you on instagram you're both at you're at sandwich hag yeah and at sandwich hag so it's sandwich underscore hag and then uh chef ray duong r-e-y-e d-u-o-n-g and you know where to find me at fw scout on instagram and twitter if you've got suggestions of people you want me to interview or um, any kind of question um, i love answering them send them my way and we'll be back next week have a great week thank you Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, 
at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.